0: Ladies and gentlemen, people of the internet, welcome back to yet another episode of Crypto Over Coffee. I hope you're doing well today. And if you're new here, every Saturday, we start off the weekend right by breaking down the latest news and the hottest topics in the world of technology and cryptocurrency over a cup of delicious coffee. Now that being said, in today's episode, we've got some icon news, Algorand, Polkadot, Matic, our usual 404 Logic Not Found segment and more. So make sure you stick around for all of those updates. But as we always do, let's kick it off today's episode with questions from you, the awesome folks who watch my channel and listen to the podcast. Now, if you want one of your questions answered, make sure you leave them in the comments below. Tweet me at hishoshi 4 or you can leave them in the Hishoshi Discord channel, which of course will be linked up below. And if you would be so inclined, please do subscribe to the channel or follow the podcast and hit the bell notification button so you get a heads up whenever I post new content across all platforms. So thank you so much in advance, and let's dive into these questions. Now, the first question of the day is from Lucas Gloge. Hopefully, I pronounced your name correctly. Hey, H, keep up the qual- high-quality content. Thank you so much. I'm curious if the transition to ETH 2.0 will lower gas fees and how. So one of the big things it's talked about right now, especially with the rise of DeFi, uh, decentralized finance, and a bunch of other applications, including non-fungible token projects, which we're going to talk about later in the episode, the Ethereum network, the Ethereum mainnet the gas fees the transaction fees that you pay to use these services have gone through the roof due to obviously high demand and high volume now what this means for the average user is it's becoming very difficult to even participate in any of these defi projects because it's too expensive now ethereum 2.0 will in fact help the gas price uh, situation that we have here and I'll explain to you how if you think about Gas prices It's really used to compensate miners for the work that they're going to have to do to validate the transaction that you're performing, whether that's sending Ether from one person to another or that is doing something more complicated like creating a a DeFi vault, for example. Now, it's all based on supply and demand because there's a limited amount of space inside of each block. There's a limited amount of compute power that can be utilized in each cycle of consensus. And as a result, a certain number of operations can only be done. That being said, you pay gas prices to get your transaction validated and to be picked up by miners because miners are incentivized to pick the higher fee transactions basically to get themselves paid. With ETH 2.0 using things like rollups, for example, that roll transactions almost together in a way, with uh, sharding, breaking up the network into smaller pieces. With all of the stuff that they've put together, including proof of stake to make ETH 2.0, they've tried to make the network more scalable, which means that there will be more room, there'll be more supply in terms of uh, transaction throughput for people to start pushing transactions through, and thus each transaction will cost less. So the more scalable Ethereum is, the cheaper things will be to use Ethereum. So it's really right now a supply and demand issue. There's too much demand for the supply of block space and compute power uh, that can be run in each cycle of consensus on the proof of work Ethereum network. So yes, ETH 2.0 will help that. And I'm sure they will tune the cost of each sort of operation on the network as well. So thank you so much for your question. Now, digital money, share, forex, commodity, that's a long name. I want to know about ETH 2.0 and what are the best parts. So we already talked about ETH 2.0 in the earlier question. So you've got a little bit of background. I mentioned some of those things. Proof of stake, sharding, and rollups. Those are three th- sort of things that are put in the mix to make the network more scalable. It's sort of that trifecta, if you will, that is hopefully going to make ETH 2.0 one of the most scalable blockchain networks in a layer one that we've ever seen. Now, they're really trying to solve the trilemma, which is to make something uh, secure, decentralized, and fast, which is very, very difficult to do. And so as a result, I really think that the most important component is not proof of stake because you've seen that's been done, right? Cardano has done it. Elrond has done it. Algorand has done it. Tons of networks have done proof of stake and gotten it out into the world and have people actually using it. Ultimately, the most important thing to me is rollups because I think that, Rollups of all different ty- types and varieties. You can look up ZK rollups and you'll see all sorts of different things, optimistic roll-ups, all that sort of thing. I think this is the most important part because if you can effectively bundle large-scale transaction volume into smaller bite-sized pieces while also making them sort of as a whole still independently validated and final that's a huge, huge benefit. And so I'm not going to get into the technical inner workings of how rollups work, because quite frankly, that's probably, that could be a series of videos on its own. But I think rollups as a means by which to scale, being able to roll up transactions across different shards, being able to roll-up bundle of transactions that come from a, an external channel for example those things are going to be critical for achieving the type of scale that are going to be necessary for the future of DeFi on Ethereum and it will be necessary I think for other networks too so you see uh, other other networks talking about roll-ups all the time so I think roll-ups are the best part but I will say and I almost spilled my coffee just now I do think that the the sharding ecosystem within Ethereum 2.0 is also going to be very important because I do think that other networks like Zilliqa have done this and proven that it can be done effectively. Same with Elrond. And I think Ethereum needs to do this and needs to do this right uh, to get that to that 64 shard count to really reach the scale that they're talking about in all their papers. So thanks so much. And hopefully that answers some of your question about ETH 2.0. Now we've got another question also about fees on ethereum but this is different so this is uh purpose you claudio i always mispronounce your name i feel so if i'm top saying it wrong please uh, let me know with all the issues with fees on ethereum why do you think we do not see DeFi apps migrating from other blockchains to to do their business so cardano zilliqa elrond etc and this is a really really good point you don't see projects for the DeFi space moving to cardano and elrond and other networks now Why? Because there aren't as many users there. The ecosystem that Ethereum has built is something people cannot sleep on. I see all the time. I'm a huge supporter of Cardano. People know that. I love Elrond. I really like Algorand. And I really like Polkadot and Cosmos. But the reason why these networks have not seen the number of DeFi projects and the net new DeFi projects are still building on Ethereum despite the fees is because The developer ecosystem, the user ecosystem, and the tooling that's out there. MetaMask, everyone knows how to use MetaMask for the most part in crypto. That's connected up to Ethereum. A lot of the great mobile wallets, very Ethereum-focused. This is something that the other networks like Cardano and Elrond, etc., they're up against this, and this is going to be a real challenge to garner adoption because developers are always going to develop where the most users are, and they're going to continue to build on the, in the place where the most users are. It's kind of like the Apple App Store. Developers, quite frankly, don't like building for the Apple App Store because it's expensive for them, and they lose a lot of their profits, but that's where the users are. And that's the same thing that Ethereum has. And that's why I always say you can't count out Ethereum, even though ETH 2.0 is taking a long time. These other networks have an uphill battle. I think they're going to take market share, but it's going to be a fight. So I think that's why it's all about the user. Now, the last question of the day is from Kevin from Twitter. Thanks so much. If Web3 is the future because everything can be decentralized, but many apps will need oracles to external data, wouldn't those sources be centralized? So this is about oracles and the process of feeding information from outside the blockchain into the blockchain for smart contracts and other applications to use that data. This can be things like price feeds of, you know, what's the Bitcoin price at this moment in time, or things like the weather, what's the weather like here, or sports scores or results, all sorts of things. And the answer is yes, the danger of centralized data feeds is something that a lot of these Oracle projects are tackling things like uh, you've got Chainlink you've got band protocol, you've got Teller, you've got API3, you've now got Razor Network, which I've been really starting to take uh, take a liking to. You've got a lot of options out there. And the reason is, is because this is a huge widespread problem that needs to be solved. And so the ability to sort of triage and make the process of aggregating external data, making sure it's it's valid, making sure that it's done securely, making sure that you have a high confidence level in that data that you're making decisions on in immutable networks Making sure that that happens is their sole purpose. And so I think that you're going to see Oracle projects become a really important thing amongst you know NFTs and others uh, in terms of getting adoption in the blockchain world. And even in enterprise, Oracles are going to be extremely, extremely important. And so you bring up a great point. You need to make sure that your data feeds are decentralized if you're going to actually take advantage of a decentralized network to its fullest in terms of logic. Uh, and so you're you're totally right. But I think just because you're pulling from a data source, that is centralized. But when you start to spread it out and you say there are multiple data sources that have authority on this particular topic, let's aggregate those data sources together. I think you can start to get a better picture that can be used for for logic. Of course, this is a very complicated space and you're going to see it develop continuously over the next five to 10 years. So hopefully it answers your question and uh, let's go ahead and dive into the news section. Now, just a friendly reminder for everyone that's watching or listening, please be aware of scammers that are in the comments and on social media posing to be me. On YouTube specifically, if the comment does not have the name highlighted like I'm showing you here on the screen, it is not me, and you can go ahead and report them. And for those of you who are new here every week in partnership with the folks at Kobo who make the awesome Kobo Vault Wallet, I'm giving away a Kobo tablet steel seed phrase backup device in every episode from here on out. So all you have to do to enter the random draw every week is comment on the video and i will pick a random winner and just for transparency the product itself is only available in select regions so if you do win and you're from an unsupported region i'm just going to send you bitcoin instead so the winner of last week's giveaway for the kobo is here on the screen big congratulations to you and of course i will be in touch now it would not be a crypto over coffee episode without a healthy dose of bitcoin so let's go ahead and start there This week has been one of the greats for Bitcoin holders with the richest man on earth, Elon Musk, tweeting about Bitcoin and more importantly, the announcement that one of his companies that you just might have heard of called Tesla is adding 1.5 billion, that's billion with a B, U.S. dollars worth of Bitcoin to their balance sheet. Now, this move is sort of following the example Of big companies like MicroStrategy, who have also been adding Bitcoin to their balance sheet as a hedge against inflation and other economic forces. So, this news, as you probably expect, sent Bitcoin on a wild, frenzied run up to the mid 40,000s, and we ended up setting a new all time high over 48K. Now, at the time of recording this video, we're sitting right under that 48K mark, I think right at about 47,000. And everyone is sort of waiting in bated breath to see if we hit that coveted $50,000 US mark. And with central bank balance sheets going off the charts, retail and institutional investors still ravenous for Bitcoin buying up more than the supply, and miners obviously still making profits, things do look poised for more upward momentum if all goes well and trends continue. Now, you even have members of the old guard, like the oldest bank in America, BNY Mellon, acknowledging that digital assets are now becoming mainstream and they've now used that to drive the decision to offer custody services for Bitcoin within the organization. The world is changing and sentiment is changing, even amongst the biggest critics of Bitcoin. Now, as a Bitcoin holder, I'm extremely bullish for what 2021 has to offer and I hope that you guys do as well. Now, in other news, I've partnered up with the Icon P-Rep or public representative Icon Plus to deliver more Icon content here on the channel. And as any OG Hashoshi viewers will know, I've been a fan of Icon for a good long while, and it's great to work more closely with their team from here on out. That being said, I wanted to share some news about the latest interest-earning product in the Icon ecosystem. And this comes in the form of an iOS and Android mobile app called IconFi. On IconFi, one can deposit Bitcoin, Ether, USDT, that's Tether, and ICX to earn compounding interest on one's digital assets. Now, in addition, it also allows you to stake ICX, the native cryptocurrency of the Icon Network, through the app, in a matter of seconds. So for anyone who's looking for yet another place to earn interest on their crypto, give IconFi a download and check it out to see if it's for you. It's starting to really gain some traction in app stores around the world. And you can earn up to 11% on your assets if you're willing to lock in your deposits for a set amount of time, which is configurable in the app. So there's a lot more to come from this service as it's only recently launched to so expect to see more assets supported and other updates along the way. And I will be sitting down with Icon founder Min Kim soon to talk more about IconFi and DeFi on the Icon ecosystem. So make sure you're subscribed and you stay tuned for that video. Now, moving on, the non-custodial crypto swap and exchange Shapeshift published a research report that I think brings up a fantastic point about proof-of-stake networks and the challenges that they face in garnering adoption. The, The whole premise of the piece is that proof of stake networks like Cosmos, Nier, and Polkadot could suffer the same challenges for adoption as EOS if their networks are perceived to have issues with centralization. The assertion, of course, makes sense because developers of decentralized applications will likely not feel incentivized to build their headline decentralized apps on a network that is perceived to be in some way dominated by centralized control, whether because they don't trust the network themselves or because they believe that the perceived centralization will Sort of mar the growth of the user base or that it will fail altogether. The challenge for many proof of stake networks these days is that both early allocations of coins early on in a network's development to big parties, paired with the huge accumulation of coins on exchange wallets after launch, because users like to park their coins on exchanges, can result in the perception or the reality of centralized power in a proof-of-stake network whereby one's wealth really largely equates to one's power in the network's block-making processes. And to be honest with you, solving these problems are far more difficult than I can express in words because human beings naturally tend towards centralization. We've talked about this on the channel a whole lot. People like to delegate the responsibility of custody, for example, of their crypto, or they want to delegate their participation in networks like staking, up to exchanges and other services, which means those exchanges technically have a lot of the power in these proof-of-stake networks, and it isn't easy to solve for that challenge without more centralization, for example, by banning exchange addresses from consensus. So if you do that, who manages the ban list? It's a tough problem, and it's sort of a chicken-and-egg problem as well that I think will be a key theme to watch in the future of decentralized networks that utilize proof-of-stake. Now, in other news, the digital ETH Denver conference focused on the Ethereum ecosystem, which takes place annually. It actually was happening this past week, and non-fungible tokens or NFTs were a huge talking point. Now, on this channel and everywhere else, including in my personal life, I've long maintained that NFTs are going to be a huge, huge industry and a major arbiter of adoption in crypto. And we're starting to see that trend get clearer and clearer as time goes on. I mean, if you look at a graph of OpenSea's NFT marketplace volume in terms of U.S. dollars, 2021 is already exploding, with January to February accounting for nearly four times the volume as previous months, well into the $20 million mark. Now, there is also movement in the gaming industry, in the art industry, in the content creation industry, and more. And these projects are no longer being deemed as sort of secondary use cases to the traditional tokens and payments that you see in most blockchain networks. Millions, if not billions of people play video games and consume content. And the trend of desirable asset ownership is starting to trickle down into retail in a big way. And that is a massive recipe for growth in the NFT space going forward. So I'm super stoked. I think NFTs are one of the places to watch outside of DeFi. Now, last week, I mentioned Elrond, a quite promising L1 blockchain network that's gaining traction in the market and how they were integrating with a new Oracle project that I like called Razor Network. Now, this week also brought news that Razor Network is integrating with Algorand, which is another network I'm very fond of and one of the most true-to-spec proof of stake networks out there today. It's it's a true proof of stake network. Now, uh, Razer itself is a smart contract based Oracle protocol that uses pseudo random assignment of validators who service queries for data, as well as a clever commit reveal scheme, which exposes the data to the requester when the request is fulfilled. Now I've been reading up on their project and it's pretty interesting, and I actually do think they have a good chance of success. In many ways, Razer has taken little bits and pieces from other Oracle networks on the market today and has taken lessons learned from that. And I think that competition in this space, especially for oracles, harkening back to the question that we had earlier in the episode, It's really, really good. Oracles are one space in particular that needs a lot of competition and choices and options because centralization of Oracle options is also a bad thing overall. So this is good news for Algorand because they now have a plethora of options for feeding data into their smart contracts down the line. And this should also help level up folks like Chainlink and Band Protocol who are sort of the established players in the market. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for 404 Logic Not Found. And for those of you who are as of yet uninitiated in this little firecracker of a segment, I highlight notable tech-related fails or otherwise stupid moves in the world that need to get some attention. And speaking of attention, if you want to help this video or this podcast get some attention from the algorithm gods, please do hit that like button and get subscribed or hit follow because it tells the robots that are governing this whole thing that you're enjoying the content other people might also do so so thank you for that in advance now today's episode of 404 logic not found is a little bit interesting i think that all too often in the crypto space token prices get touted as the sole indicator of success or even the sole indicator of potential success You see everyone touting their favorite token's price as the barometer for how well adopted and amazing the project is. However, token price is far from an indicator of success or adoption, and it is arguably one of the worst or lowest on the totem pole in that regard. So many data points, many of them, can be used as indicators. Things like the user base, Active user base, dApp usage volumes, code commit quality, industry traction, third-party code audits, token distribution metrics, staking or delegation metrics, heck, even market cap is a better indicator of success than token price. The fact is, token economics vary widely between networks, and some tokens are simply not designed to accrue in value all that fast or at all. Some are made to be super scarce purposefully in order to drive up token prices almost artificially. And further, some tokens have wide accessibility in a ton of countries and regions and exchanges and others do not. So this uneven playing field for tokens in terms of the foundational elements make for a weak indicator of success, both in present times and future. So next time you hear the DeFi pump and dump of the month being touted as this massive success because its token price is bouncing, Take a second look, and the same goes for Bitcoin and Ethereum as well. Their success has little to do with their prices. The reason why they are highly regarded has nothing to do with their prices, even though it may be viewed that way at times. In fact, most people in the media have it backwards. The prices are a result of other metrics, the real metrics, not the other way around. So measuring by price is usually a one-way ticket to getting wrecked, and the social media discourse around token prices has made that even easier and easier to do and more dangerous to do. So remember, measuring a decentralized network by its token price is a slippery slope and a sure 404 logic not found. Now, I did also want to talk about another project that we've discussed on the channel before, and I do think that this particular project does really seem to be positioned in a really good way coming up for ETH 2.0. So I wanted to talk about the popular Ethereum layer two network Matic, who are now rolling their existing Matic network and product line into their brand new brand called Polygon. So Polygon is the new rebrand of Matic, and it's going to encapsulate the development of a new SDK that will feed into the layer two network infrastructure's usage. So this SDK or software development kit will enable Ethereum-based developers to create dApps that leverage scaling solutions like Optimistic Rollups, ZK Rollups, and Validium, just a few examples, to use in tandem with interoperability features that they will be building on the network as well. So this move is seemingly in response to the rise of interoperability network solutions like Polkadot that are gathering steam And Polygon should provide an Ethereum-focused option for developers seeking refuge from the not-so-scalable mainnet these days. So overall, I think that most other Layer 2 networks like MATIC, or now Polygon, will also be making these types of moves in order to remain relevant and in-demand in the run-up to ETH 2.0. And then I think to continue to be relevant when ETH 2.0 is around these things definitely need to happen. So I think it's really smart for Matic to be making this move, make the rebrand and pivot to make sure that they stay relevant as ETH 2.0 comes into the fold. So folks, that's going to do it for Crypto Over Coffee today. I am so, so appreciative of you watching every single week. Actually, last week's episode was one full calendar year worth of Crypto Over Coffee. So today's episode 53, I just got married really good times I'm really thankful for everything that's going on right now in my life and you guys are a huge part of it so thanks so much and of course if you have some time to stick around I will link up a video for you to watch here on the screen but I wish you and your family a wonderful weekend and week ahead and until next time cheers